Howdy, this is Dave Hill, and this is issue 44 of Dave Does the Comics. This is my now monthly comic book review podcast, recorded on October 7th, 2012. The point of this podcast is for me to wax lyrical about a select number of comic books I have read over the last month. The books I talk about should still be on the stands or in the recent back issue bins, so hopefully this will give you a heads up, based on my opinion, about some titles you might want to try or might want not to. I try to avoid spoilers, but a few might leak through, so my apologies. We are continuing our new monthly podcast pattern, which has certainly freed up my weekends quite a bit, which is a good thing. I try to circle back to this the first weekend of each month, which brings us to October, looking back on September, and a few titles from this week, too. In most cases, I'm going to be talking about the best. In other cases, simply some noteworthy stuff that I found worthy of, well, noting. Interestingly enough, it's a lot of beginning and endings this month. DC's doing their issue zero titles, while Marvel has many storylines shutting down or coming close to shutting down with the end of both AVX and the impending start of their Marvel Now initiative. So let's go ahead and start with Marvel, and we'll start with one of those titles that's uh, coming to a close, Avengers Academy, number 38 from Marvel, Christos Gage writing, Tom Grummet on the pencils, Crosstown Rivals, the penultimate issue of this book, a more on which later, in which the first annual, probably the last annual, Avengers Academy slash Jean Grey School for Young Mutant Folks flag football game is held with powers. You know, I really like this title. Um, at its worst, it's harkened back to sort of old-school, straightforward, non-psychopathic superhero adventure. But at its best, as in this issue, it's been a constant examination of a host of heroes, all of them growing up, even the adult ones, coming to grips with their powers and what it means to be super-powered, superhuman, and a hero. Costs and benefits. This issue, with its oft-silly flag football game, gives more insight into each member of the Avengers Academy, student and faculty alike, not to mention the other non-AA supporting cast and the visitors, than most years' worth of comics of any given title. Uh, it's been like the groves of academe, often a place to reflect and talk and illumine, rather than just being a punch em up and that's been really nice. Um, I'm going to miss this book, especially if the follow-up is the appalling Avengers Arena, a.k.a. Hunger Games Battle Royale for all the young heroes of the Marvel Universe, including the Avengers Academy grads. Oh, yuck. I mean, really, Marvel? This is what you're doing? Um, yeesh. Meantime, for this issue, I give it four stars. I liked it a lot. Avengers vs. X-Men number 11 from Marvel, Brian Bendis on the script, Olivier Coipel on the pencils, round 11. Okay, there are spoilers here since the book has been out multiple weeks. Uh, a, the good guys, which we've decided for us are the folks fighting the Phoenix Five, now down to the Phoenix Two, are gathering up all the allies they can to confront again the two remaining Phoenixes, Scott and Emma. B, Professor X finally gets off his psychic butt to confront Scott over all of this, which he does by scolding him as a child. Smooth move. C. Scott betrays Emma, of course, stealing her power, because he needs it in order to save the world. 
D. Scott kills Professor X. Ho-hum. I mean, really, even Bendis' trademark dialogue just gets phoned in here as people natter away in an unnatural fashion, the increasingly power-mad Scott keeps being driven to greater and greater extremes with predictable consequences. Honestly, at this point, Xavier's death is three-quarters deserved, and whatever happens to Scott Summers is completely deserved. Indeed, the same is true for pretty much everyone who I've stopped caring about in their appearances in this title. Still... It is full of action, and Koipel's art is, as always, gorgeous. So, two stars, it was okay. On the other hand, Avengers vs. X-Men number 12 from Marvel, Jason Aaron on the script, Adam Kubert on the pencils, round 12. Thus demonstrating the schizophrenic nature of this particular series. The series ends, uh, well, not quite with a bang, but definitely not a whimper. It all comes down to the Scarlet Witch and Hope, haha, to defeat the new Dark Phoenix, Scott Summers, blah, 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 blah. Big build-up, big battle, lovely art, decent wrap-up of that part. The problem is not that it's ham-fisted or poorly done, but just ultimately very predictable. A bit less so is the denouement, in wherein we see the results of the Phoenix being dealt with, not to mention the final confrontation between Steve Rogers and Scott Summers. Decently good stuff for a title that's vacillated wildly between decent and awful. It's certainly a nice status quo changer in the final analysis, but also comes across feeling a bit too much like, hey, we're going to start up this new Marvel Now thing and shuffle all the creative talent in the Marvel Universe, so we need to reset a lot of the stuff that's been built up in the X and Avengers titles for the last decade. Um, okay, whatever. Three stars. I liked it. Um, just not a lot. The Punisher, number 16 from Marvel, Greg Rucka writing Marco Cecchetto on the art. Convinced that Frank and Rachel are responsible for a massacre downtown, including the death of police officers, the NYPD and everyone else is on their tail for real this time, which means they might actually get caught. That Maria did in the fog, or excuse me, Rachel did in the fog of battle actually kill a cop causes her to question the righteousness of her whole crusade, not to mention existence. Will our anti-heroes be caught? Will they get away? Will they individually come to some insights over what it means to be vengeful killing machines? It's the final issue to this run, and Rooka more or less brings home his final points about what it means to be the Punisher, whether anyone can or should try to walk his path. This book has never quite altogether gelled for me, though Ruka's a consummate pro at this kind of story, and Chetto's art is appropriately dark and moody and realistic. Still, it's good stuff overall, with a lovely cover, almost won this month's best. If you have any interest in Rucka or the character, picking up the trade collections of this series would be a fine idea. Four stars, I liked it a lot. FF number 22 from Marvel, Jonathan Hickman writing, Andre Araujo on the art, You Are Whatever You Want to Be. Hickman did a remarkable job in the Fantastic Four universe over the past number of years. He successfully created a second title so that the main Fantastic Four book could be the cosmic adventures and grand epic plot lines, and the FF title could focus on the extended Fantastic Family and their various future Foundation charges, telling stories that tie into the big storylines, but also stories that are intimate and quiet. In this case... We come, <coughs> excuse me, we come to the conclusion of the tale of Bentley 23, one of the clones of the wizard, and tackle the question, with odd but pleasant art, of how far an apple can actually fall from the tree, and how irredeemable anyone can be. Nice stuff. This is another title I'm sorry to see winding down for a different now incarnation. There will be an FF, but it's going to be a very, very different book. 
Um, hopefully they just don't hand wave and wipe out and retcon away everything they've been doing here, uh, but that we'll see some of these characters and some of the outcome of some of this uh, plotting in the future in a positive fashion. Uh, in case I didn't say it, uh, four stars. I liked it a lot. And now for some collections from Marvel. Journey into Mystery, Volume 1, Fear Itself, from Marvel. Kieran Gillen writing, Doug Braithwaite illustrations, collecting issues 622 through 626. The beginning, really, of the Lil Loki adventures, as he confronts, Why do people always assume I'm lying? And then decides to show how he can be a true hero by lying, and being more clever, briefly more ruthless, and turning his naughty ways to a good end, which, often in the run of of this title uh, has ended well-ish, but in the long run, as we're currently seeing, uh, will not end well for anyone. Maybe. Uh, a great series, more enjoyable, in fact, than the main Thor book. Uh, I give this collection four stars. I liked it a lot. The New Avengers, Volume 2 from Marvel, Brian Bendis writing, Imanen Acuna Deodato and Chaken on the art. This collects New Avengers number 7 through 13, the second volume of the post-Norman Osborn restart of the series. Um, there's some great Bendis Avengers at their best stuff here. Lots of Luke and Jessica deciding on things like her re-entering the hero biz, whether they want the government paying them, should they have a nanny. There's also some action against Hammer, Mockingbird getting shot, and a very odd digression to 1959 and, as illustrated by Chaikin, the first formation of the Avengers under Nick Fury. Overall, a successful and re-readable collection of Bendis Avengers goodness. Four stars. I liked it a lot. Nemesis trade paperback from Icon, which is a Marvel imprint. Mark Millar writing Steve McNiven on the art. Um, I'd heard interesting things about this series from a variety of sources and know it's under development as a movie, so I thought I'd pick up the collection. Um, unfortunately, ho-hum, it's more iconoclastic hyper-violence from Mark Millar, who keeps trying to out-Garth Ennis Garth Ennis. In this case, we have the question, what if Batman were a raging, brilliant psychopath who was out to kill police chiefs around the world, especially the one responsible for the deaths of his parents? It's a fun premise, I guess, and executed neatly, with plenty of twists and turns, especially at the end, but when all's said and done, it's not substantially different from anything else Millar has done for the last five years. Uh, two stars. It was... okay. And now on to DC, where it was issue zero month, focusing on tales from before the New 52, supposedly to give some background for all that DC did to all of them in the new series. You would think that that might have actually come earlier. Um, whether this was the plan or not, who knows, because I'm not sure anybody at DC knows because the New 52 has been so poorly planned. Anyway, some good stuff, some mediocre stuff, and we'll start with Justice League Dark. Number zero from DC, Jeff Lemire writing, Lee Garbett on the pencils, Young Bastards, in which we learn about the young John Constantine of the DC New Universe, not to be at all confused with the one in the DC Vertigo titles, how he learned of his magic craft and how he got hooked up with young Zatanna. It's an awfully conventional story for all of that, and in the telling makes both Constantine and Z less interesting of characters. Two stars. It was okay. Batgirl number zero from DC, Gail Simone writing, Ed Benes, 
on the art, A Fire in the Heavens. This tale starts with how Babs Gordon got involved in fighting crime at night and became a member of the Bat family, hinting at what got her to retire and ending with the first panel of that famous scene from The Killing Joke. It leaves unanswered whether she was ever Oracle, but for all of that, it's still an enjoyable tale, well-drawn and told, even if in a retrospective tone that keeps it at a one-step emotional remove. It's definitely a filling-in-the-gap story, but leaves enough unanswered to avoid robbing it of all the mystery, like Justice League Dark did. Uh, well done. Three stars. I liked it. Sword of Sorcery, number zero, featuring Amethyst. DC, Christy Marks writing, Aaron Lopresti on the art, Homecoming. I confess I was a big Amethyst fan back it's in, a, in its original run in the, gosh, what was it, the 80s, the 90s, early 90s? Uh, fun fantasy, youth-friendly, a bit goofy at times, but still enjoyable. The new series, just in this issue, uh, why is this an issue zero, I wonder, um, also looks to be good, and my 12-year-old daughter is definitely interested in reading more. Uh, it's a bit more mature of a title, but not in a violent, sexy way. Just a uh, more sort of mature storytelling style. Um, young, purple-dyed hair Amy Winston moves from town to town with her mother, always abandoning friends, never getting along in school. Um, but at night, getting trained in swordplay and other stuff like that. Um, it's uh, There's a reason for all of that, and it finally comes to a head in this Issue Zero story. Um, as Amy discovers her true heritage. Guess what that is? Yeah, it's not that original a theme, but it's well-constructed and drawn here, and I, like my daughter, am ready for more. Three stars. I liked it. Meanwhile, in the remarkably successful Before Watchmen franchise, we have Before Watchmen, the comedian, number three of six from DC, Brian Azzarello, writing, J.G. Jones on the art. The comedian comes back from Vietnam briefly to encounter war protesters and race riots, gets into arguments with Bobby Kennedy, and slips further into dissolute madness. Dark and bitter, Azzarello's doing a nice job here of fleshing out this character from the instigatory corpse in the original tale, and the person everyone just kind of loved to hate. Now we learn a little bit more about why on both. Uh, this is one of the series from this um, series of Before Watchmen stories that I'm going to be collecting in trade paperback when that eventually comes out. Uh, I give this one three stars. I liked it. Before Watchmen, Ozymandias, number three of six from DC, Len Wein writing, Jay Lee on the art, The Heart That Fed. Actually, this issue brings up an interesting question of whether it's Ozymandias or Ozymandias. Um, just feed on that for a moment. Wien continues this tale, exquisitely illustrated by Lee, as Adrian Veidt first encounters the comedian. Everyone loves playing with that character, by the way, and he plays a prominent role on the cover, which is a little bit odd. And then, more ominously, Dr. Manhattan, and begins to build his empire around addressing, coping, dealing with, emotionally and practically, that unearthly and uncontrollable perceived threat. Again, I'm going to be collecting this one when it comes out in trade paperback. Four stars. I liked it a lot. And on the Vertigo side of things, Fables number 121, uh, DC Vertigo. Bill Willingham writing, Mark Buckingham on pencils, Cubs in Toyland, Chapter 8, Toy Repair. Wherein, in the wake of the new Fisher King sacrifice, Toyland begins its path to redemption, and his sister's life and sanity are, over time, repaired. 
wow, this has been a really sad, tragic, even gut-wrenching story arc in Fables, um, but remarkable for all of that. Lovingly illustrated, as always, it's hard to believe Willingham has been with this and brilliantly for over a decade. Um, I'm hoping he never gets tired of it because I don't show any sign of getting tired of what he is producing. Five stars. Um, really an amazing story, both this issue and the entire storyline. Ferrist, number eight, from DC Vertigo. Lauren Bukas, writing. Inaki Miranda on the art. The Hidden Kingdom, chapter one, big in Japan. So why have we not seen much, if any, Asian fables in the Fableverse so far? Bukes examines that and makes the interesting tie-in between Rapunzel and the number of tales and legends circling around hair in the Asian mythos. The initial trip of her, the initial story of her trip back to Japan, accompanied by Joel Raven, her hairdresser, and the irrepressible Jack of Fables, is entertaining and intriguing, even if Miranda's art is a bit stiff. Um, I want to read more. Uh, three stars. I liked it. And from other publishers, Invincible, number 95, from Image, Robert Kirkman writing, Corey Walker, and Ryan Otley on the pencils. Yet another issue dedicated to the supporting characters, Robot Rex and Monster Girl, and their centuries-long life, romance, and estrangement in another dimension. And the child that's come back to invade the Earth and take revenge for being abandoned. Yow! Um, on one level, it's a huh-what kind of digression, but it's nicely done, even if it feels like a bit of backstory that Kirkman was so enamored of that he, he chose to run it at length um, because he was not going to get a chance later, perhaps. Because the question is, will either character still be alive by the end of the Everybody Dies issue 100? I'm kind of looking forward to finding out. Four stars. I liked it a lot. Ghost, number zero, from Image. Kelly Sue DeConnick writing, Phil Noto on the art. I was a big fan of Ghost back in its uh, indie comic days. The art by Adam Hughes early on didn't hurt at all. Um, this resurrection, so to speak, of the character is a bit less cheesecake, but in a very nice story of ghost hunters and skeptics and broken lives and revenge and the beginning of a long quest... I liked it a lot, actually. Uh, Well-written, well-drawn, nothing spectacular, but engaging and interesting and, yeah, maybe just the little tiniest bit cheesecakey. Four stars. I liked it a lot. The Shadow, annual number one from Dynamite. Tom Sniagoski writing, Dennis Calero on the art. Children of the Dragon, um, a workmanlike continuation of the Garth Ennis Shadow series as an annual, now that the Ennis uh, time on the book is wrapping up. Focusing on dragons and... Power and missionaries and adopted children and their mystic invasion of America. Um, imaginative, but very done in one, in a way that feels a bit cramped because of that, to be honest. Snigoski's a talented novelist, which comes through here, and Calero's art is shadowy and nicely horrific. Three stars. I liked it. The Boys, number 71, from Dynamite. Garth Ennis writing, Russ Brown on the art. The Bloody Doors Off, conclusion. We Huey's final confrontation with Billy Butcher over the latter's final campaign against all remaining supers, uh, wherein Butcher completes his mission in a way and gets his final revenge in a fashion. Bloody and bitter and cynical, as one might expect from Ennis, this issue begs for the final denouement, which will be next issue. 
Um, it's a key part of the story, but to be honest, not one of my favorites, largely because it's so talking headish in a very unpleasant fashion. So I give this one only three stars. I still liked it, um, but I'm really looking forward to the big wrap-up um, next issue to the boys. And finally, our named reviews for the month. And I'm going to start with the least favorite comic I read that I really wanted to like more but simply didn't this past month. Justice League number zero from DC. Jeff Johns writing Gary Frank on the art Shazam. Wherein Billy Batson, who's been a backup story in Justice League now for a while, and who is a young, mean orphan with a heart of, well, maybe nickel or some other base metal that can be polished up but is hardly precious, becomes Shazam, who used to be called Captain Marvel, but DC's decided to drop that nomenclature. Um, he also has a hood now, for unknown reasons, and his powers ha have lots of lightning associated with them. Um, also not for any great reason, I guess, except that it, it looks cool. Um, oh, and he's still a snotty twerp with a heart of nickel. Um, it's sort of emblematic of the DC New Universe as a whole, uh, trying to be dark and edgy and true fanboyish, because who could possibly like or do anything with a Billy Batson who's a nice kid under unusual circumstances? Uh, and so is deeply disappointing. It, it just shows kind of a, a dark, cynical view of things. Um, I'm sure that Billy's going to go through some sort of redemption tale, but in the meantime, it just... Um, just really yuck. Doesn't It does nothing for me, and it kind of tarnishes a character that, to be sure, has struggled for it, but has still been sort of an icon of being nice. And I guess in the DC New Universe, being nice is simply not an acceptable storytelling framework. One star. Um, I did not like it. The best trade paperback collection I read this last month uh, didn't come out this last month. Um... It's an older one, Secret Six, Volume 1, Unhinged, from DC. Gail Simone writing, Nicholas Scott on the pencils, collects numbers 1 through 7 of the series from back in all the way in 2008-2009. The gang of villains with feet of clay take on a fateful mission, uh, bringing to Gotham City a woman who has a get-out-of-hell card. Who will try to stop them? Heck, who won't from the villain side of things? And who within the team will betray them, and why? Um, this is how anti-heroes should be done. People doing bad things for dubious reasons, but not in a way that makes you... Excuse me, but in a way that makes you understand them and makes you want them to succeed. Or if not succeed, then perhaps not be punished as they might deserve. Unlike, say, Billy Batson, who you just want to slap. Uh, this was a great series, sadly cut short for the uh, DC New 52, and it's all collected in tra trade paperback, except for the next collection from the one I just reviewed, Depths, um, is out of print and going for like $50 to $70 uh, on eBay and Amazon and places like that, which should tell you something about how good a story it is, Dagnabbit, and DC, why have you let this fall out of print? Four star! Excuse me, four stars. I liked this one a lot. The best cover over the last month, and of course there were plenty, but I'm going to give it to X-Factor number 244 from Marvel. Peter David writing, Leonard Cook on the art, and David Yardine on the cover. I've given him 
uh, best covers previously, but this is another good one. Breaking Points, Day 4. Uh, David is continuing his literal deconstruction of the X-Factor team, this time tackling Teresa Cassidy, Banshee, and her final confrontation with the Morrigan on behalf of her half-crazed friend Lorna, and perhaps on behalf of her dead ghostly father, the original Banshee. But those sorts of confrontations always come at a cost and a sacrifice. Yowzers. On some level, this is a bit out of the blue um, of a story, but David and Kirk's work here are both very, very nice. So nice that it pays off. And I just love Yardine's cover here. It's just all really nicely done stuff. So four stars for the story, four stars for the cover. I like them both a lot. And the best comic I read over the last month... Journey into Mystery, number 644, from Marvel. Kieran Gillen and Matt Fraction writing. Carmine Di Giandomenico on the art. Everything Burns, part 5, Young Adult Fiction. We're coming into the conclusion of this Thor-Loki crossover and of the Asgardian status quo of the past few years. It looks, looks... Like Loki's finally betrayed everything, by intent or by accident, as Thor is pulled down to death by Surtur's demons, the world tree burns, King Volstagg is rejected by his friends for his role, helping Loki earlier, and pretty much everyone is looking to whack Loki before the world ends. Lil Loki's trying his best to make things right in the worst way, literally. Will he succeed? And what will that success look like and mean for him? At what cost? Um... Wow, this really is big and epic, because I've really liked this incarnation of Loki in this book, and I'm on tenterhooks to see how it will end and evolve next issue, as plots and plot lines being laid down for years finally come to bloody, fiery fruition. Um, this is all very trade paperback collection worthy, and I give it five stars. It's just been an amazing new dimension added to uh, Marvel's Asgard universe. And the best all-ages book, and could have been considered the best graphic novel of the month that I read, A Wrinkle in Time, from Margaret Ferguson Books, uh, Madeline Lengel writing, Hope Larson adapting uh, the story and uh, providing the art. Um, this is a hardcover, smaller format um, graphic novel adaption of the classic young adult tale. Um, lovingly done, rendered by Larson. Um, I'm a big fan of the book, and this version made me very happy and would, I think, encourage young folks to read the original as well. It hits all the major beats of the story, even the more difficult to visualize ones later in the book. Uh, I plan on handing it off to my daughter to read with no hesitation. Four stars. I liked it a lot. So, a summary of the best of the best, four-star books, Avengers Academy number 38, Punisher number 16, FF number 22, X-Factor number 244, the trade paperback for Journey into Mystery Volume 1, Fear Itself, the trade paperback for New Avengers Volume 2, Before Watchmen, Ozymandias number 3 of 6, trade paperback Secret 6 Volume 1 Unhinged, Invincible number 95, Ghost number 0, uh, and the graphic novel A Wrinkle in Time. And five stars, Fables number 121 and Journey into Mystery number 644. And that, as they say, is that. Thank you for listening to this Dave Does the Comics podcast. On my homepage, which you can find through the wonders of Google, you can see all of the lovely covers for these lovely comic books and leave comments on the podcast. I can be reached there or tweeted at 3 underscore star underscore Dave. I welcome your feedback, especially your suggestions for books I should try. I hope you've enjoyed this 
27 minutes out of your life. Thanks once again, and as Stan Lee is so fond of saying, this is Stan Lee.